Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. I don't talk about inflation all that much on the show. I admit that I'm not an economist. So this is this is the problem with having a microphone in front of your face uh, is that you have this desire to project that you are an expert on literally everything to the extent of, you know, Sean Hannity calling himself Dr. Hannity. He had some segments like that back in the old days. <laughs> I remember. I remember the old days of Sean Hannity. Uh, Dr. Hannity. Uh, people would call Rush Dr. Limbaugh. Like he's not, uh, neither of these people have doctorates. Anyway. Uh, when you have a microphone in front of your face, you have this tendency to want to pretend like uh, you know everything about everything. And certainly when you're a lawyer, you have this temptation to want to pretend like you know everything about everything. And I do not know everything about everything. I know a lot about a few things. I know a lot about a few things. But there are several things I don't know much about. Okay? And I'm not an economist, necessarily. Uh, I have some basic ideas and basic understanding of economics, just by sort of incidentally by virtue of my legal education, but I don't know a ton about it. So, but I, I think one of the things I'm starting to understand now is that the single biggest issue for the 2022 elections and likely for the 2024 elections, whether in California or out of it, it's likely going to be inflation. It's likely going to be inflation and the economic ruin, the economic sort of the economic uh, problems that are going to result from it. There are a lot of indicators saying we're on the brink of another recession. Their costs for all kinds of things have gone up. So let, let me see if I can talk about inflation just in a very basic sort of way. So inflation is when the value of money lessens. Inflation is when the value of money lessens. Now, this can be done in a number of ways. If the market is flooded by an excess of cash, if the government is printing the cash, if the government is issuing the cash, and all of a sudden the market is flooded by an influx of cash, that could lead to the value of the dollar going down. If all of a sudden, well, everyone's got all this cash, well, okay, I, I guess then it doesn't make any sense. If everyone's got all this cash flying around, well, it doesn't make sense for me to charge this much for my product. It, I should charge this much. So you have tons of cash circulating. 
Okay. Another thing that can lead to price increases across the board, which is really what we're concerned about here, is increasing costs for everything. Uh, another thing that can lead to increasing costs are limitations on supply. All right. So let's talk about supply and demand. Right. This has happened when it comes to all oil, gas, energy, uh, energy resources. All right. The Biden administration has taken an anti-supply sort of position when it comes to oil. Okay, oil drilling, oil pipelines, etc. More environmental regulation. They don't like oil. They don't like oil drilling. They're carrying the water for environmentalists. Okay, so the Biden administration over this last year has taken various kinds of supply limiting steps when it comes to oil. If you lessen your supply, so you have less supply, but the demand stays the same or goes up, so it's, it's the same number of people competing for less and less oil, well, what does that do to price? Tends to make the price go up. Oil is a more scarce commodity. It's more relatively in demand because there's less of it. Therefore, the price goes up. It's not hard. This is not hard to figure out. And there are all kinds of supply problems in the supply-demand formula that we've been seeing in America. We had huge supply chain issues over the last year or so. A lot of this was exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. And thank God we had Johnny on the spot, Pete Buttigieg, to take six months of uh, paternity leave for he and his gay husband adopting a baby that was birthed by a surrogate. Nonetheless, we had all these supply chain issues, and it's resulting in all kinds of weird shortages of things. Right now, a huge issue in America is this big shortage of baby formula. Like, they're, they're families who cannot get their hands on baby formula. It, there's a huge supply chain shortage of baby formula, leading to whatever baby formula exists. Again, you have less in supply. The demand stays at least stable. It's not like people are having fewer kids or anything. You have stable demand, less in supply. What does that do to the cost of baby formula? It goes up. And liberals have been doing all kinds of different things to lessen supply on basic goods, all kinds of environmental regulations on food, on environmental regulations on chicken and on raising cattle and chicken and pork uh, that are about to come into place in California. All that stuff hampers supply. Demand stays stable. So cost goes up. So across the board, there are all these different huge issues with inflation. Now, President Biden gave what I think he tried to frame as a major speech, which um, <laughs> it's always funny when Biden speaks. He, he, he's not sure seemingly what to do with his hands anymore. 
And it's like that one scene early on in, in Talladega Nights, which is the Will Ferrell movie where he's like a NASCAR driver, and his first race that he ever races in where he does unexpectedly really, really well, and he gets interviewed afterwards, and he's really nervous, and goes, well, the car car did real good, and he has, he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with my hands. I always think of that every time I see Joe Biden talking, because he, 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 I don't know, it's some old old man, like, he doesn't know what to do with his hands anymore. Anyway, so... On May 10th, Biden gives a speech. Jim Garrity from National Review has a write-up. Jim Garrity is a pretty funny guy, and he's uh, an editor for National Review. He writes, That was quite a performance from President Biden today, complete with the usual verbal stumbles. The number one threat is the strength in, and that strength that we've built is inflation. <laughs> he was, that was all jumbled up. Senator Rick Scott of Wisconsin. He's not from Wisconsin. I know you've got to be frustrated. I know. I can taste it. And so on. The president blamed high inflation on the COVID-19 pandemic and then Russia's invasion of Ukraine, even though inflation started rising well before the February 24th invasion. He argued that there was no competition in the meat processing industry because there are only four major companies. And then he, which four companies seems like decent competition. And then he blamed greedy corporations for price gouging and added he had, quote, no problem with companies getting and generating reasonable profits. <laughs> so what, what's the difference between price gouging and reasonable profits? Well, Biden's not going to answer that. And Biden blamed congressional Republicans, even though they're the minority party on Capitol Hill. Biden declared that the GOP wanted to exacerbate the financial pressures on American families by raising taxes on the middle class. Their plan has made working families poorer, Biden said, even though the plan he was referring to, Florida Senator Rick Scott's plan, which has been criticized by quite a few right-of-center thinkers, including uh, National View writers, has not been enacted. Okay, so here's Biden saying, well, the Republicans, the Republicans are going to make things harder by increasing taxes on the middle class. They're, they're making, they are making things harder on the middle class. All right, stop. A group of Republican senators, not all of them, a group of Republican senators with the obvious disapproval of Mitch McConnell introduced a draft plan idea for having some minimal tax amount on all Americans. It is a plan that has been largely rejected by most people on the right, and it is just a vague plan of some Republicans. It has not been enacted. All right, let, let us again note, Republicans have a minority in the Senate, or at least they have 50 and they don't have the tiebreaker because Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker. They have a minority in the House, and they don't have the White House. So Biden can't blame, credibly, Republicans because a group of their senators have a plan that would maybe hurt the middle class. Anyway, Biden insisted there are certain factors that absolutely could not be blamed for inflation, and those were him, his policies, and increased federal spending, putting more money into the economy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> putting more money into the economy is like the definitional thing that causes inflation. Okay? When you have the market flooded with cash... 
with with a huge infusion of cash and people realize there's way more cash out there, that leads to increased prices. If the the value of the dollar goes down when you flood the marketplace with cash. He this is a Biden quote. Think about what they say. The vast majority of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the economists think that this is going to be a real tough problem to solve, but it's not because of spending. We've brought down the deficit. The bottom line is how much does America owe? How much in the hole are we going? We're reducing that. Once again, the president hopes everyone hears the words we have reduced the deficit which is how much federal expenditures exceed revenue, and thinks it means we have reduced the debt, which is the total amount the federal government owes cumulatively. So, uh, yeah, you've reduced the deficit, but you have not reduced the debt. The deficit is the each individual year amount that you spend over what you take in. Debt is the whole entire cumulative lump sum of what the government owes, to which Biden has added vigorously. Oh, and the president surprised a few people by not saying anything about the ongoing national shortage of infant formula. Why did the president come out metaphorical guns ablazing on the issue of inflation? Because tomorrow, the cons- because, yeah, and this happened yesterday, the consumer price index numbers for April get released, and as you would expect, they're terrible. So, we are in, I, I feel like this is sort of a challenge for, for yours truly. That if we're going to talk intelligently about the 2022 elections, we have to talk about it in the context of inflation is a massive problem. Uh, it is a massive problem that impacts every single American because the last the, the, because all these prices increase in a level that's not consistent with wages. OK, wages don't automatically go up in response to inflation. And so it puts a huge and, and for a lot of businesses, like it's not like you have the wherewithal just to automatically bump up all your employee salaries in line with inflation, because all of a sudden you're not necessarily getting the same amount of money in. You have all kinds of other costs that are going up. So it hurts small businesses. It hurts individual wage earners. It hurts Americans at the pump. It hurts Americans at the grocery store. It hurts literally everybody. It hurts mothers trying to buy formula for their babies. So it's a it's a huge, huge problem. When we return, how California politicians fall into this same trap of not fixing the problem of lack of supply but just subsidizing the demand. I'll explain what I mean next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. I don't know how many of you have watched the show Pawn Stars. Um, I don't think I've ever watched a full episode of it. But uh, if I'm recalling it correctly, and I think there are several of these shows that are sort of centered around a pawn shop somewhere. uh, I believe it's a pawn shop in Las Vegas, and it's run by this family. 
um, the main guy, not the original grandpa-aged guy who started it, but his son, who kind of runs the place, um, has become something of a internet jokey, sort of internet meme type thing, because constantly it's like people will come into his pawn shop with some interesting thing that that's why the television show is interesting because people bring in weird interesting stuff to pawn shops in las vegas and the guy who owns the pawn shop obviously what's the business of a pawn shop well you know uh you people bring in stuff the owner of the pawn shop pays them as little as he possibly can and then turns around and tries to sell it for as much as he can that's that's the whole idea of a pawn shop you you pay the person who brings the thing in as little as you possibly can you turn around and then you sell it for as much as you possibly can okay that's how you make a profit as a pawn shop so the guy in pawn stars is famous for ridiculous lowball offers to people who bring in really interesting stuff so <laughs> someone shared this sort of meme image uh in connection with a story in california as home prices continue to soar in California, this is a Wall Street Journal article, as home prices continue to soar in California, uh, Tony Atkins and the Senate Democrats, Tony Atkins is the majority leader for the Democrats in the California State Senate, they want to try a new approach, spending $10 billion to help families buy homes. This is not a new idea. Trying to subsidize first-time home buyers, lower-income home buyers. Uh, State of California has tried this again and again and again. And the meme image is basically, can we remove supply constraints? And then it shows the guy from Pawn Stars saying, best I can do is subsidize demand <laughs> because that's the lowball offer. All right, let me explain supply and demand here. All right. Why is the cost of homes in California so disproportionately high? Supply and demand, people. We have a lot of demand, and we have a bunch of constraints on supply, on building new houses. Environmental regulation in California really limits where and how you can build. It, you know, Jerry Brown, just on his way out, just in, in a ca sort of casual stroke, had some uh, regulatory board of his appointees pass a regulation saying all new construction in California starting at X date is going to have to have a solar panel on the roof. All, all new, every new individual home, every new multi-unit dwelling has to have a solar panel on the roof. Casually adding $10,000 to the cost of every new home construction. So that's great. So California just has this elaborate series of whether it's building code regulations and a lot of which are prompted by environmental regulations uh, codes for all kinds of stuff about wiring and electricity and power and energy and this and that and clean green technology and all the kinds of requirements on so-called low-income housing i've talked with builders who've talked about the frustration of trying to build quote low-income housing, according to the sort of category designated by the state of California, and said, yeah, it's almost more expensive to build low-income housing than it is to build normal houses. <laughs> like, if you just let me build, I could build something that would be low-income, that low-income people could afford. So, and this is the constant problem that you see in California. 
don't fix the root problem that costs thing that causes things to cost a lot of money just subsidize the people who have to pay a bunch of money so don't don't take away hindrances on supply like all the environmental regulations all the restrictions on builders all the you know the solar panel rules blah 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 blah, blah. Don't take away any of that. The stuff we need to actually build more homes in California. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No. Instead, send government money to subsidize people so that they can pay for the overly expensive houses. Don't remove supply constraints. Subsidize the demand. Without thinking, hey, what is the rash what would be the rational reaction of home builders, home sellers if they know that home buyers are going to get an infusion of 10 billion dollars of cash? They're just going to jack their prices up another 10 billion dollars. Like this is not hard. Like okay. <laughs> Why did universities increase their tuitions Year by year by year by year, increase their tuition 5% every single stinking year. Well, it's because they know there's a never-ending supply of free government money out there for high school graduates to take out huge federal student loans to go to their stupid universities. So they know, well, there's, there's no limit, seemingly, to how much debt these morons will take on. So let's just keep on increasing our tuition. Why not? The federal funny money is there. If the kid can't pay back the loan... Whatever, we've made our money. We don't have to give the money back. The U.S. taxpayer is the one who's going to have to eat it, not us. So, again, we subsidize the demand. We don't fix the problem of supply. And I I feel like that's the only response that, for example, Biden is going to have to the inflation problem. In this speech Biden gave about inflation a couple days ago, what did he say? He said, we're going to demand that corporations pay their fair share in taxes, which there's no evidence that corporations are massively violating the tax code and that there's some windfall of uncollected tax revenue out there. Secondly, collecting taxes from corporations, that doesn't necessarily solve inflation. That just gives the government more money. Um, and ask companies to not engage in price gouging. All right, are you going to ask them? Or are you going to demand it? Also, there's no evidence that these corporations are price gouging. There's evidence that they're increasing costs because of inflation. All right, when we return, let's talk about student loans. Another big Biden thing that seems to be kicked around and tantalizingly close The John Girardi viewpoint on uh, student loans and why conservatives should maybe consider, uh, maybe think through our opposition to it just a little bit. Next on The John Girardi Show.
The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Let's talk about federal student loan debt. The Biden administration is now kicking around this tan- these various tantalizing ideas for forgiving federal student loan debt, up to $50,000 of federal student loan debt. And a lot of people are reasonably quite upset about it. People who already paid off all of their student loans, some of them are a little ticked, like, well, if I had known this was happening, I wouldn't have worked so stinking hard to pay off my student loans. Uh, A number of people who never took out student loans, maybe they just went to trade school, maybe they went to community college, maybe they, you know, did whatever it took to not have to take out big student loans are saying, well, that's dumb. Why are my taxes going to have to go up to pay for your student loans? Et cetera, et cetera. And there are a lot of reasonable, look, a lot of conservatives who sort of really appreciate people like Mike Rowe, the, the host of Dirty Jobs, who who I think has done a, a great kind of his uh, sort of service to America, if you will, as being the host of Dirty Jobs and sort of highlighting that, Hey, like there is great value in work. There's great value in skilled labor. There's great value in the proposition that you don't have to go to college to be successful. And that, you know, we should have a greater focus in America on vocational school and education. Mike Rowe's a pretty admirable guy, pretty much no matter how you slice it. But I, I understand. I understand the frustration over federal student loans. I want to just offer this perspective, though. So a couple of things. And I'll admit I'm I'm a little conflicted on this thing myself. So one of the things I've been saying is I think many holders of student loan debt have at least some legitimate gripe over, look, the entire American public high school educational system, the expectations of almost the entire generation of baby boomers who were parents, student guidance counselors, et cetera, for millennials like myself when millennials took out these massive student loans, is that college is the pathway for success. Literally, the California high school system, public high school system, is premised around the idea of college for all. That is the stated goal. It massively, and I think disastrously, has uh, the California public school system, I think massively and disastrously, has undervalued the importance of trade school, vocational school, skilled labor, preparing people for the workforce in a lot of those kinds of ways. Okay. All that being said, with all of that said, when you took out those student loans... As my wife points out, now, now this, this is showing some of my ignorance, okay, and my, allow me to state my privilege. All right, I didn't have student loans. My dad's a rich doctor, paid for my schooling, and I'm eternally grateful for that, and I love my dad to death, and I thank God that my dad was a really hard worker who became really, really successful and is a really successful surgeon. Okay, so not everyone has that privilege, And I deeply, deeply appreciate my dad and recognize how fortunate and blessed and lucky I am. I didn't have student loans, right? Now, my wife did. My wife took out student loans so she could go to St. Mary's College and then Notre Dame. 
And one of the things my wife points out when I raise the point of, you know, we made all of these 18-year-olds take out these loans. Baby boomers made these 18-year-olds in, you know, 2006 take out all these federal student loans so they could go to college because everyone was telling these 18-year-olds at the time college is the only way to success. College is the only way to success. Like, how are we exp- – like, that's unfair to just impose that on a 17- or 18-year-old. What my wife points out as someone who actually filled out that paperwork was, hey, listen, dummy. <laughs> she didn't say that to me, but that was the subtext. I, I, I know what she's thinking. Listen, you doofus. When I filled out that paperwork, it was quite clear what the obligation was. It was quite clear what I was signing up for. You're taking out this loan, and you got to pay it back. Okay? The expectation was quite clear when she was signing that paperwork, when she was filling out those federal student, the, the, the federal student loan paperwork. All right? You're taking out this loan. You got to pay it back. It's on you. So... To a certain extent, the argument of, oh, these poor 18-year-olds took out these loans because we pushed them into it. Well, yeah, but they had to fill out all those forms, all right? They had, they had to see that all in black and white saying, hey, you got to pay this back. Like, this is the obligation you're taking on. Now, beyond that, there's also the reality that a lot of American student loan debt is graduate school debt. In fact, a lot of these universities, some of the worst examples of universities engaging in these predatory practices of really expensive uh, degree programs that have no chance of the graduates ever being able to pay it back, but it's great money for the university. Like USC is sort of notorious for this. USC had some of these like um, distance master's programs like in communications and other stuff by the way any opportunity i get to bash the university of southern california on this radio show i am going to take as a proud notre dame alumnus uh so usc had all these sort of distance master's programs that they would charge an arm and a leg for and basically they knew well the the person applying for this isn't going to pay cash or anything they're going to take out a student loan we will definitely get the money from the federal government. And meanwhile, whatever, this, it, you know, the, the skills that are going to be communicated to this person through this master's pro- program are probably such that they're going to have a pretty hard time paying this back. But what do we care? We're USC. We're going to get the money. So, and, you know, if this, if this person in our master's program winds up defaulting on the loan, not being able to pay it back, well that tough luck like we usc we got our money we're fi- we're fine but who's who's on the hook for it the taxpayer so all right johnny you're dancing around this like you know stop uh, stop teasing here and just give your actual opinion here's my actual opinion the problem with taking the stubborn conservative position of Federal student loan debt is forgiveness is stupid, it's irresponsible, it's rewarding irresponsible activity, it's not fair to people who didn't take out loans that they have to pay for the people who did. People should take personal responsibility for the loans they took out. You took out the loan, you pay for it. It's that simple. The problem with that 
conservative mentality. And I get it. And I appreciate and believe in the mindset underlying it is that the horse is out of the barn. We're never getting a lot of that money back. In fact, the stupidest loans, the ones that you decry the most, someone taking out, you know, $60,000 in loans so that they can be an underwater tap dance major with a minor in, you know, lesbian studies, okay? So, something completely unmarketable. The loan that you most resent having to forgive is precisely the loan that you already are going to pay for, okay? Because the underwater tap dance lesbian studies major, she ain't ever paying that back. He ain't ever paying that back. It would actually be really funny if it was a guy doing lesbian studies. Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> hey, can I study hot lesbians in lesbian studies? <laughs> Just imagining there are some sleazy dudes who, who try to do that. Anyway. Uh, so we're never getting that money back guys ever. We're just not. Those are the loans that people are going to default on and we're, and the American taxpayer is going to have to eat those. Okay. It, it's precisely the stupidest loans possible. So I guess my position is I don't really care one way or another about the actual question of student debt forgiveness. What I care about is the monetary policy at the beginning, okay? Again, what, what do Democrats love to do? They don't want to address the supply issue. They want to subsidize the demand, okay? We have all of this federal funny money out there available for student loans, and the Fed, federal government's just giving it out to anybody. It doesn't matter what major you want to pursue. It doesn't, it, none of it matters. If you want a federal student loan to, you know, study engineering at MIT, yes, we'll pay for that. Great. We should have federal student loans to help lower income kids who can't afford, you know, straight up cash tuition at MIT. We should have federal student loans to allow smart, lower income kids to go to MIT. Because guess what? That's a great investment. That kid's going to pay that back. But, again, we shouldn't allow it. We shouldn't allow it. We should have restrictions to not allow the federal government to give a $40,000, $50,000, $60,000 loan to someone who's going to, I don't know, some crazy left, to read college to study, you know, underwater basket weaving with a minor in lesbian studies, okay? We should stop that. We should pass legislation to limit the pool of federal money that's available for student loans. Because here's the other thing. The federal student loan program has empowered and enriched some of the most powerful cultural warriors that the left has. Some of the most powerful influencers of culture that the left has, which is the universities. The federal student loan program has been a massive transfer in wealth to the universities. The amount that university tuition and university employment has increased over the last 50 years has outstripped essentially anything else in the economy. It has been a massive transfer of wealth from our dollars, 
our taxpayer dollars to the universities via the federal student loan programs. So, and I find that a far more concerning use of my money than forgiving a kid's loan. Forgiving an adult's loan, I should say, that they took out foolishly. A loan that I'm going to have to pay for anyway, frankly. So I would say, look, if it, let's suppose it's 2025 and it's President you know, Trump 2.0 or President DeSantis, whatever, in a Republican House and a Republican Senate. I would be totally fine if they introduced legislation to say we are cutting off all federal student loan funding or, or massively restricting, totally reforming the whole system of federal student loan funding. Universities cannot, you know, putting limitations on how much universities can price gouge, frankly, which is what they're tuition increases year over year are, putting limitations on university tuition increases, limiting the amount of federal funny money out there for federal student loans. If they were to pass legislation like that, massively reforming the federal student loan programs, I'd be fine if that was accompanied by student debt forgiveness plan. I'd be fine with that. Frankly, it's smart. It's smart politics. Get a bunch of millennials who otherwise don't like you to think, hey, these Republicans are pretty good dudes. They forgave all my student loan debt. What I don't want to do is forgive the student loan debt without fixing the root problem. That's my, that's my take on it. That's my sort of posture. We can't forgive the student loans without fixing the root problem. When we return, the Democrats' math problem. How it extends to a recent big abortion vote. Next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show. Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show. Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. The filibuster rule in the Senate is pretty simple. As long as you have 41 votes, you can stop a bill from going forward. You need 60 votes to end debate. So as long as you have 41 votes and the other side has 59 votes, uh, you can have debate go on forever and thereby block a bill from advancing. Pretty simple. Now, you don't need to use the filibuster if a bill is put forward and you have 51 votes opposing it. That just means the legislation loses, like normally. Okay? In the Senate, they have this crazy rule. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called uh, majority. <laughs> like, uh, if, a, if only a minority of the people there support a bill and a majority of the people oppose the bill, then the bill does not pass. Okay? That, that, that's kind of consistent. That, they also have that rule in the House of Representatives, by the way. If a majority of people don't like a bill and don't vote for it and vote against it, actually, then it doesn't pass. Now, liberals are so mad that this huge abortion bill they tried to pass, it only had 49 votes in favor and 51 opposed. Okay, Joe Manchin broke from the Democrats to vote against it. They're so mad that this bill failed that you have Elizabeth Warren going on ranting about, we got to get rid of this filibuster rule. This is just horrible for the minority to stop what the majority wants. That's not democracy. Well, 
you don't have the majority for this bill. Okay? You only had 49 votes. <laughs> the other side had 51. Last I checked, 49 is fewer than 51. And it's amazing. Like a huge AP story said Republicans uh, filibuster, uh, Republican-led filibuster stopped uh, an abortion bill from passing. No, it wasn't a filibuster. It was a bipartisan majority of senators vote defeated a bill to have nationwide legal abortion, basically make the country Roe v. Wade overturn proof. It's astonishing how bad these liberals are at math. That'll do it for John Girardi Show. We'll see you next time on Power Talk. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.